And I invite you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures to the 11th chapter of Luke. The 11th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Our text will be the first four verses. Luke 11, chapter, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Hear once again the very word of God. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John had also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now from Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father, as we look into your scriptures and once again consider the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, we give thanks, Lord, that you model before us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that which is pleasing to you. May it impress upon our own minds the importance of modeling that same faith and that same faithfulness before you in the company of men. Help us to be stewards of faithfulness, that we might not only proclaim it, but live it before men, that they may see our Lord and Savior through us and in us, and that, that they might be compelled to bow their knee to Him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. For indeed, Father, we ask that Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this in the name of the one who made it possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, brethren, today's sermon is a contrast in prayers. We've considered Jesus' daily ministry of intercession on behalf of his people from Hebrews 7.25, just a few weeks ago, and then his high priestly prayer from John 17 last week. Today we shall consider the prayer he taught his disciples in Luke 11 and contrast that prayer to the prayers offered in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
Though these two circumstances in the lives of Jesus and his disciples are separated by some significant time, it is likely the disciples had a keen perception of the contrast between these two events. There are few accounts of Jesus instructing his disciples on prayer. Very few in the Gospels. Both of these chapters have instruction on prayer. In Luke 11, immediately after Jesus had been praying, the disciples asked to be instruction on the proper way to prayer. And in Luke 18, Jesus uses two parables to teach the disciples two important aspects of prayer. First, persistence, and then humility. It is likely when the disciples heard Jesus' two parables that they recalled the didactic teaching Jesus had given them that is the subject of, our, of the sermon today from Luke 11. So coupling the didactic teaching with the teaching in these parables of Luke 18, we find a fuller understanding of Jesus' instruction on Luke 11. Now, at the beginning of chapter 18 of uh, Luke, we see a parable about persistence in prayer. I don't have time today to, to go over that parable. Uh, it's likely I'll mention that next week as we continue our studies in prayer. But today I want to contrast Jesus' instruction on how to pray with that of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Well, the outline from Luke 11, 1 through 4 is very simple. It's well known by many. There are five great themes mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. One, the adoration of God the Father. Two, the acknowledgement of God's sovereignty in building His kingdom. Three, the provision of our sustenance. Four, the necessity of the forgiveness of sin. And five, deliverance from the evil one. Now normally I only speak of three items in a sermon. I'm going to try to get five in today. So hopefully it won't go too long. But I'll do my best. These five aspects of Jesus' instruction to his disciples place the focus of prayer not so much on man, except for the forgiveness of sin, but on God the Father. This was in keeping with Jesus' entire life. He came, Jesus said, to do the will of the Father. Over and over we see this particularly in the Gospel of John. In other words, Jesus came to seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, trusting that all things would be added unto him by the Father. This seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness included the subject matter of his prayers. Jesus did all of that, all of his life with that in mind, seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his Father. So with that in mind, let us consider Jesus' prayer one that we should emulate in our praying. And we'll do this by way of contrast with the Pharisee and tax collector parable found in Luke 18. Well, first, the adoration of God the Father in prayer. In Jesus' model prayer for his disciples, the adoration of God the Father is an important aspect of the prayer. It is not only an acknowledgement of the creator-creature distinction, it is the elevating of God's person and authority over all, 
and consequently a humiliating of one's own self in the presence of God. When we acknowledge that God is greater than we, His person, His nature, all of those things, we necessarily humble ourselves because we can but bear the image of who He is. We are creatures and He is the Creator. The first two phrases in this this prayer, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. Jesus acknowledges the habitation of the Father as well as His lofty and profound name. And that distinguishes God from all other things in creation. His habitation, which speaks about His person, and His name, which is above every name. Though Jesus' description of the Father here is short, it's packed with significance. God is a spirit, the Bible teaches us, and they who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus acknowledges this in this phrase, in this first phrase. Where does God abide? Where does He reside? Well, the Scriptures teach us that there is no place that God does not reside. Now, I know that's a double negative, so for those young people who are studying English, uh, it may be incorrect English, but it is very correct theology. There is no place that God does not reside. Jesus acknowledges that God resides in and throughout the universe, which necessarily includes the earth. In this, God is unique. His abode is everywhere. Furthermore, God's person is unique. Not only because He resides everywhere, but because He is uniquely holy. Jesus says, Hallowed be your name. The Greek word here for hallowed means, Let your name be being holyized. Now let me say that again. Let your name be being holyized. It's a continual kind of holiness. It's not a... Once for all holy, although God is that, but He continues to be holy and continues to reveal that holiness throughout His the time that He has created. In other words, Father, may Your holy name be forever made holy. That's the notion that's packed into this second phrase. So in these first two phrases in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus dwells on God the Father's unique person and holiness. And these are not tertiary matters. These are essential matters in our prayers. When we come to God to pray, we come to the very presence of the greatest being in all creation. Now consider the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they began to pray. Beginning in verse 9 of Luke 18. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then in verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Neither man makes the essential acknowledgement of a unique person and holiness, the holiness of the Father in his prayer, as did Jesus in Luke 11. I don't want to make too much of this. Uh, the thrust of what's happening in the parable in Luke 18 is a bit different. Jesus isn't trying to talk, teach his disciples the elements of a, a prayer that's good and uh, acceptable to God. But he is trying to teach his disciples the difference between the attitudes of men in prayer. Both of these men in Luke 18 are concerned with themselves. The second word of the Pharisee's prayer is the word I. Notice, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. His entire prayer is about his own righteousness. He's focused on himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, is also concerned with himself, but notice that his first acknowledgement is the contract of his filthy the contrast of his filthiness compared to the holiness of God. God be merciful to me a sinner. Do you see the difference? The tax collector wants to promote his own righteousness. Excuse me, the Pharisee wants to promote his own righteousness while the tax collector acknowledges both the holiness of God and his own filthiness. Well, in Jesus' prayer, the next thing that's taught is God's sovereignty and the kingdom. We'll come back to, the, to Luke 18 and look at that, those prayers as well, but I want to first speak about these phrases that are spoken of Regarding the kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The importance of the Father's kingdom in the mind of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, in his heart, cannot be overstated. Jesus was all about the kingdom. What exists in the heavenlies where God resides is that which Jesus desires for the earth as well. Where God's person and name are revered in heaven, that is what Jesus desires on earth, that God's name and person be revered. Where his kingdom is expanding in the heavens, and it does, more are added to it all the time, Jesus desires its expansion on the earth as well. Jesus is all about expanding the kingdom of God. But notice that in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the notion of God's advancing kingdom is absent. Again, I don't want to make too much of this absence, because the purpose for which it's being given, this parable, is to teach men how humble they ought to be when they approach the king. However, what I do want to emphasize from Luke 11 is the advancing kingdom is vitally important both to Jesus 
and to our prayers. The progression of the Lord's Prayer begins with the person in the name of God and then moves to His kingdom that He sovereignly builds. How often do our prayers mimic that? Often we begin by acknowledging the creator-creature distinction, the hallowed name of God the Father, the importance of His holiness, but not too often do we quickly follow that with the importance of the advancement of His kingdom. Well, the next portion of the Lord's Prayer, the third petition of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. As in our text it reads, give us day by day our daily bread. Both are accurate. God's sovereignty in providing our daily sustenance Sustenance is not diminished by Jesus in his prayers. You see, not only is God sovereign in the creation, God is sovereign in sustaining his creation. We are in the season of harvest now. Uh, I have had the joy several times to go up to Wilmington to visit folks, and I'm seeing that tall green corn begin to turn brown. Soon the the beans in the fields will also be turning brown and becoming skinny. The harvest machines will be fired up and the harvest taken in. We're already, uh, the apples are starting to, to ripen and they're being harvested. We had some apple pie this week. It was delicious. Uh, all of the harvest is coming in. Who has brought the increase? Who brings that increase? sustains us in life? Is it we ourselves? Do we make the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? God does. Do we sustain the bees who inadvertently germinate the plants so that they can grow in the spring? Is that our doing? No, that's the sovereign hand of God. Do we send the winds that also spread the pollen to germinate the plants in the spring? You ever wonder why May is windy? Realize that without that wind, the plants won't germinate. You should give thanks for that wind. It's important. We do not do these things. God does. And when we acknowledge God's intimate activity in all these things, which was essential to Jesus' prayer, when we acknowledge that, we are hallowing His name on earth as it is in heaven. Seeking God's sustaining presence in our lives should be essential to our prayers, just like it was essential to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Likewise, the next phrase, the next few phrases regarding the forgiveness of sin are of necessity in our prayers. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Jesus is not teaching about his own needs, but rather our needs. Jesus came to bring life to the world. Since Adam, death had been the prominent force in creation, but then Jesus came on the scene. Jesus came to overturn death and the cause of death, that being abiding sin. 
The fourth aspect of the Lord's Prayer is the concept of the forgiveness of sin. First by God toward us, and then correspondingly us toward others. To be about the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, sin must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. It should not be ignored, nor should it be trivialized. God is holy, as we've already seen in the first couple petitions. God is holy and expects holiness of His children. After all, we bear His name. We bear His image. Furthermore, because God the Father is the great judge of all, only He can initiate the forgiveness of sin and provide the means. This He has done in His Son, Jesus Christ. We then, who are the sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, must mimic the forgiveness given to us by forgiving others. You see, kingdom building is being forgiven and spreading forgiveness. This is the desire Jesus pursues in His prayer. Now contrast this again with the prayers offered in Luke 18. The Pharisee is more concerned with the acknowledgement of his own righteousness. I think that I am not like other men. I'm not like extortioners. I'm not like unjust people. I'm not like adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. This is a righteous man, is he not? We then compare Jesus' petitions regarding the forgiveness to the prayer of the tax collector. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Humility is the demeanor of the one who prays aright. Let me say that again. Humility is the demeanor of the one who prays aright. Humility seeks forgiveness and seeks the opportunity to forgive others. Herein is righteousness. Remember Jesus taught us and lived out. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. To seek forgiveness and to seek forgiving others is righteousness. Well, the last petition deals with the evil one. Of all the things Jesus could have included in his model prayer, he could have included prayers for the sick and the infirm. Prayers for more beneficial work for the folks of the kingdom. Prayers for the well-being of others. None of those was included in the model prayer. There is an inclusion of deliverance from Satan. And this should sober us. This should sober us. Our broader society belittles God's law and therefore belittles evil. The prince of darkness would have it no other way. 
He delights in lawlessness and would have us delight in it as well. And does. If that means he has made fun of us in our culture, that, or, or he has made fun of, him, of himself in our culture, that's okay. Satan doesn't mind to be made fun of in a culture. If that means that we have no sense of evil. You see, that's what Satan's all about. Diminishing the sense of evil, both in ourselves and in our culture. As long as he can distract us from making the distinction between righteousness and evil, Satan is well pleased. It is when we assert righteousness over evil that Satan's ire is kindled. Therefore, seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness angers the enemy. And brethren, we need protection. Satan is pleased when he can overtake us. And so we must be careful because Satan is a ferocious lion seeking whom he may devour, the scriptures teach us in Peter's epistle. Only God can provide the hedge that keeps Satan away. Consider Job's life. Do you remember? Satan comes into the presence of the living God. And God invites Satan to consider his servant Job. Have you considered my servant Job? God says to Satan. Is Satan responsible? Of course I have, but I know I can't get to him. You've built a hedge around him. You're protecting him. You lower that hedge, he's mine. Satan did not pursue Job because of God's hedge. It was when that hedge was shrunk by God, not completely removed, but shrunk, that Job's family, his wealth, are exposed to Satan's attack, and they are taken from him by Satan. That was a great destruction. Job was spared. His wife was spared. But his children were lost and all was well. Yes, Job was tested. We too may be tested in like manner. Yet, without the aid of God's hand of protection, we will be consumed as Job's children were and his wealth. Brethren, we must solicit God's protection as Jesus taught us to pray. We are in a great battle. It's life and death. Literally, life and death. And without God's protection, our lives will not be sustained. Without His hedge, we will be subjects of Satan's attacks. I'm not one of those who says there's a demon behind every bush or Satan's after me all the time. I doubt he's even considered who I am. But there are times when God will test us as he did Job. There are times when the attention is drawn to us and we don't know when that will be. This past week I spent a little time in New York City at a conference, a consortium of men who are considering things that are happening related to the statement we made 
on women in the military. Our statement may draw attention to us. But you know what? When you proclaim righteousness in evil days, expect attention to be drawn to you. Expect that. That's what happened to Jesus. But we need to pray for God's protection. And I think it's very important for us to pray that prayer more frequently now. Well, brethren, as we consider the contrast between Jesus' model prayer and that those that are given in Luke 18, we see there's a very different demeanor between the Pharisee and the tax collector, between Jesus and those who think they have their own righteousness to parade before the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, before God the Father as well. We need to have a humble spirit in prayer. We need to acknowledge who God is and who we are. That's part of humility. God's the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and we are mere images of that. We are creatures. God lifts us up out of sin as we confess our sins to Him, and He forgives those, and He sets us on a high place, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are given eternal life that we might do all we can to bring forth the kingdom of God both on this earth and someday when we inhabit the heavenlies in His near presence. Truly, that's a great gift. We need to acknowledge that God sustains us each and every day. And so our prayers need to go to Him each and every day, giving thanks for those things He provides for our sustenance. We need to rejoice in that. We need to have great joy in our thanksgiving. But we also need to be reminded if we're going to pursue righteousness, if we're going to pursue the advancement of Christ's kingdom, kingdom, then we've got to be sober-minded. Read the rest of Luke 11 today. Jesus came to bind Satan and pillage his kingdom. And trust me, just as Satan took from Job all he could, he will do the same from us, save for the hedge that God builds around us. So pray for God's sustaining hedge against Satan and his minions, that truly his kingdom would advance with great hope. Our prayers should include our needs, but they should focus on the sovereign, guiding, all-powerful, sustaining hand of God. It is His kingdom that is at stake. His kingdom will be established in all its fullness. Remember in Isaiah 9 that the increase of Christ's government and His peace, there will be no end, and the zeal of the Lord will perform it. Our focus in our prayers should prominently be the kingdom of God and His righteousness.
That was the prominent focus in Jesus' prayers, in the prayer that He taught His disciples. And so in a few moments when we pray that prayer, think about those phrases. Jesus was all about the advancement of the kingdom and the righteousness of God. May we too follow Him in that example. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, it's a very good reminder when we pause to give thought to the very phrases of the prayer that your Son taught the disciples and us. We give thanks, Lord, that these particular petitions model for us righteousness in prayer. And so, Father, help us to follow after this example in our prayers. You are the sovereign God of all things. You are holy. You are just. You bring equity to your people. You bring judgment to the wicked. You do these things in righteousness. And your scriptures taught us that even today from 1 Samuel. So Lord, we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where equity and justice reign over all. Father, we know that you are merciful and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That you withhold your wrath so that men might turn from their sin and repent. We pray for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray that many men and women would realize that they are sinners, far from you, in need of salvation and eternal life. And there is no way to receive that but for faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that your Spirit would sweep over this earth, convicting men and women of their sin, compelling them to turn from that sin and believe in your Son and his sacrifice for us. We thank you that the ransom has been paid, that your Son and his holiness brought forth that which we could not have, and that's holiness in him through his sacrifice. With gratitude in our hearts, Lord, we give thanks. We rejoice that what could not be accomplished by us has been accomplished by you. The full measure has been accomplished. Nothing yet has to be done. And we give thanks. Father, we acknowledge that you sustain us each and every day. That you provide for our physical needs with nourishment, as well as protect us from enemies of these carnal bodies, disease and, and uh, other things that threaten us. Father, you provide what we cannot provide for ourselves. Again, you are sovereign and we are but creatures. And so, Father, we rejoice that your kind providences reap harvests upon harvests that we might be sustained. Help us always to be grateful for that which you place before us to nourish us. 
Help us always to be graceful for the homes that we inhabit, the church and the church folk that we worship with, the sustaining salvation that we have through your Son, Jesus. All of this comes from your holy hands. And it's all very good. Father, we thank you for the provisions you've made for your church here. We come from great distances. Father, you've made us leaven in a very big lump that reaches many miles east to west, north to south. Help us to be good stewards, Lord. We thank you for the buildings you've entrusted to us. Help us to be patient in the renovations, but diligent as well. We know it took many years to construct these buildings. It may take many to restore them. But help us not to grow weary in well-doing, being stewards of your great gifts. May they be a witness to many. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom would advance here in Ludlow, Bromley, the surrounding communities. Maybe, may we be faithful and we will trust you for the increase. Help us to be faithful to proclaim your word, to call men and women to repentance, that they might be forgiven as we were forgiven. May that be a, a constant part of our conversation with men. And Father, we do ask for protection from the evil one. We live in days where evil is not only tolerated, it's promoted. Many call good evil and evil good. So Father, we pray that you would protect us from Satan and his minions and followers. That you would build that head strong around us. And may we, your people, be faithful to proclaim righteousness. That we might be a light to the world. A light in darkness. That many may see that light and flock to it. That you would be glorified, Lord, on earth as you are in heaven. Which also is our prayer. Father, we pray for those in authority over us. You've taught us to pray that way. We ask, Father, that you would give us men who would govern us both in the civil realm and in the church, men who do justice, who love mercy, and walk humbly before you. As in the old covenant, your people desired a king when you wanted to be their king. Father, you have given us a king. A king above all kings, the great king, your son, Jesus Christ. May we bring honor to his name. All who govern men, may they bring honor to his name. And should they not, O oh Lord, we ask that your sovereign hand would remove them. Father, we commit all this to your care with thanksgiving. You are sovereign, you are gracious. And full of mercy. You love us more than we can understand. And so, Father, we commit all this to your care. For you care for us. And now let us join our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Praying together. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.